give God all glory and praise today. Thank you. 
because of our love for you, our desire to worship you. We believe the words that you've said to us. So we want to give you all glory and praise. We want to make sure that our hearts are lifted to you. We believe in the work of Jesus Christ today. We want to give him honor. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Why don't you guys have a seat? start with a place that we left off last week, something that Doc had said that I think is just a kind of a good starting point for us. He talked last week a lot about imitation, and uh, this is a direct quote from him, something that he said last week. He said this, the world is telling you, your heart is telling you, Satan is telling you, be yourself. You do you. Be true to yourself. Live your greatness. And God says, ironically, I agree. Did you catch that last week if you were here? It's a big irony. There's a big, big idea here, right? It's very surprising. Most of the time, Doc and I get up and we we talk about all the ways in which culture diverges from what God has called us to be and how there's conflict in all sorts of these different kind of areas, different strategies, different ways to live. But this is one of those rare places where the world is telling you something that God is also telling you. The application is different. How the world tells you to get there is going to be very different than what God instructs us to do. But it is that same desire. Back to Doc's quote. He says, God says, ironically, I agree. Just be your real self. Be the self I made you to be. Don't settle. Don't settle for less. We are constantly settling when it comes to imitation. Doc talked about that a lot last week. He also said this that I thought was really interesting. He said intimacy with someone or or some group is going to evoke some shared beliefs and some shared interests. What he means is we become who we surround ourselves with. And so as you evaluate your relationships, you're going to find ways in which you've settled in your imitation. If you're married, you probably don't imitate anyone more than your spouse. And that's probably good 
because they were good enough that you wanted to marry them, right? They probably have some good qualities. There's some good things there. But they aren't perfect. Maybe, maybe your wife or husband has never heard that. They're not perfect. The longer you're together with them, the more the two of you are going to kind of become the same. You're going to begin imitating one another. You're going to grow to become more and more like each other. And that can be, you know, a, a great, great model for you to imitate, but they're not the best. There's a better model for you to imitate. And your best friend, they're going to have some good qualities probably, but they aren't perfect. And there's a better model for imitation. And your hero that you have, your hero, whoever that may be, they're going to have some good qualities, but they aren't perfect. In fact, they're probably far from perfect. There's a better model for you to imitate. And that's why last week Doc brought us back to Jesus. He's that best model. He's the perfect model. He's the one who is actually truly worth imitating. But which version? Which version of this Jesus should I follow? Because while we can say that we ought to imitate Jesus, there's a wide spectrum of what our world believes Jesus to be. A few weeks ago when we started this series, I actually read through a lot of different names, versions of Jesus, kind of in a humorous way, some of them funny, right? We talked about Republican Jesus, Republican version of Jesus and Democrat version of Jesus, right? Because we have this wide spectrum. And there's all these other Jesuses in between. There's the version of Therapist Jesus and Starbucks Jesus and Open-Minded Jesus and the sports version of Touchdown Jesus and Martyr Jesus and Gentle Jesus, Hippie Jesus, Yuppie Jesus, Spirituality Jesus, Platitude Jesus, Revolutionary Jesus, Guru Jesus, Boyfriend Jesus, and Good Example Jesus, right? Like there's so many different versions. And I got a text from a couple of you last time whenever I read through all of them and you pointed out that I had skipped past Ricky Bobby's eight-pound, six-ounce newborn baby Jesus, right? <laughs> now, whether, whether you understand what each of these Jesuses represent or not, we can recognize that there's lots of versions of Jesus because there's lots of ways that our culture has manipulated him. So when we say that we want to imitate Jesus, what are we actually talking about? What does it actually look like? Which version of him are we going to follow? Because the reality is it's easy to get it wrong. In fact, it's easier to get it wrong than it is to get it right. There's an old dead theologian, a guy named Karl Barth, who said this, truth walks the razor edge of heresy. Truth walks the razor edge of heresy. There's a guy named Leonard Sweet, Frank Viola, some guys that we're reading book called Jesus Manifesto that Doc and I are pulling some big ideas from. They say this, they say the road to truth is surrounded by a ditch on either side. Surrounded by a ditch on either side. The road is narrow. The path to Jesus is very narrow and it's a very easy to get off of that path. You can fall into a ditch just by stepping one foot off of the path on either side. It's very narrow. It's, it's very razor edge type of a trail. It makes me think back to Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 32. Moses is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says, Be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Now, what's most fascinating to me about this verse is where Moses says this. It's where we find it in the Bible. It's Deuteronomy chapter 5, but this is the place where Moses has delivered the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. It's the beginning of their law. And it's kind of held up as this rough image for them to imitate. It's, it's rough because it's words on stone. It's rules. It's not a person to imitate, but it's an idea. It's not an exact image. But it is 
an image. It's a type of an example. And it's something that they're supposed to work towards and try to imitate. And right after Moses gives the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel, Moses challenges them not to drift off of center. That you stay focused. That you stay on center. Because truth walks this razor edge of heresy. There's a verse in the New Testament that I think echoes this sentiment really well. Jesus says this in John chapter 14. He's talking to his disciples, and he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except by me. The Israelites of the Old Testament had the law as their way to be a people of God. We live in a New Testament era. We don't have the law or the rules. We, we have Jesus who's set up as our example to imitate. And the key word in this statement that Jesus makes, at least this key word for us today, is that word, am. I don't know that it's the most important piece of this, ber- of this verse, but for us today, I think it's absolutely key. It's absolutely the key word that we need to pay attention to because our counterfeit versions of Jesus usually change that word. They turn am into some other word. All those different versions of Jesus that we mentioned, that we've talked about, they shift the word am into something else. So instead of I am the way and the truth and the life, we shift it to being I will show you the way and I'll show you the truth. I'll show you the life. And it sounds kind of like Jesus. It looks kind of like Jesus, but it's not the same. Instead of I am the way and the truth and the life, we shift to I revolutionized the way and the truth and the life, right? And it looks like Jesus, and it kind of sounds like Jesus, but it's, it's not. It's a one-off. It's, it's a ditch on either side, right? It's a moving to the left or to the right, and it still kind of looks like I am. It still kind of sounds like I am, but it's a shift because truth walks the razor edge of heresy. And that matters to us today because heresy doesn't get you where you want to go. If you miss Jesus, then you miss the way and the truth and the life. Now, again, there's lots of ways that the church gets this wrong. I want to show you two of the more prevalent ways that Jesus' followers tend to get this wrong. And the first one that we're going to talk about is this big word, legalism. It's a big word. It's all about what you do. It's all about behavior, okay? It's going to help us think of it in terms like that. Let me get this straight, okay? Uh, it's, it's all about what you do. It's a focus on how we behave. It's a moral code, right? That's what we try to shift this into, okay? It's, it's a focus on that phrase, the way. We shift Jesus' words. Instead of looking at them as I am the way and the truth and life, we shift it off of center. We move it to the side and we make it into I have the way. You see the difference? I have the way. We treat Jesus as if he has the way and if he has the truth and if he has the life. And it doesn't seem like a big difference at first, but when you play it out, you can see just how far off we can get. We move Jesus out of being the center of Christianity and instead of ethical, instead we, we focus in on ethical behavior. We focus in on the rules of following him. That's what becomes center and we pursue rules and behavior modification. We strive to be a good person and it's a move to the left. We're not the first to do this. Pharisees were doing this in Jesus' day. It was their strategy. They became obsessive about legalism. Doc was uh, telling me this week how there were some Pharisees who were obsessive about the Sabbath. Uh, they, they, they had this rule. They weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath, and they became obsessed about it, so much so that there's stories of Pharisees feeling guilty because at the end of the day on the Sabbath, they would find that there had been like a needle that had got stuck in their clothing or something, and all day long they'd been carrying this needle 
They'd been working in their minds because they were so obsessive about this rule. They turned it into work. Something so small and insignificant became a breaking of their rule. Their idea of a relationship with God meant that they had to do the right things. Many of us do the same thing. It starts with this obsession about the rules, and we turn Jesus kind of into this teacher. We, we call him the greatest moral teacher of all, of all time, but that's kind of a, that's a diminishing of who he is because he was so much more than that. We've settled for something less when we make Jesus into only a teacher, and when Jesus is only a teacher, it makes his teaching more important than him, right? Think about it this way. Teachers have a great influence on your life, but they're really only a means to an end. Eventually, they become obsolete to you. If you're a professional or an instructor, or a, a, you had a, a professor, a teacher, an instructor, someone who came alongside of you and taught you what it is that you do, you probably don't consult with them as often as you once did, right? Eventually, they've taught you the things you need to know and you don't need their help anymore. I doubt that you, that you have a picture of them on your desk because it's not about them, it's about what they taught you. And I doubt that you celebrate the person who taught you how to read every time that you read. Because it isn't about them, it's about what they taught you. You see, once a person has learned the teaching, once a person has begun to master a system, you can lose the memory and the identity of the teacher and still possess the teaching. There's lots of Christians who've become obsessed with behavior modification, with the rules that Jesus taught. And they make that the center in their focus. And it looks a lot like Jesus, and it sounds a lot like Jesus, but it's not Jesus and the strategy doesn't work with Jesus because Jesus is the main event. It's not about the ethical teachings that he delivered. It's all about him. It's why there's a significant difference between him and other ancient teachers. And you can go back through history and you can look at figures like Aristotle and Socrates or even you know, Buddha and Confucius and Muhammad and all of them. All of them say, follow my teachings. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, follow me. Because instead of law and commandments, Jesus invites us into a relationship. A relationship with God. A relationship with God that has been defined by love. Jesus is an evangelist of a God who is love. So it's a profound mistake to treat Jesus as simply the founder of a set of moral and ethical and social teachings. Jesus and his teachings are one. The medium and the message are one. Christianity, the following of Jesus, isn't found in a system of ethics or a system of behaviors. It's found in a man who's God. There's another old dead theologian, a guy named G.K. Chesterton, who said it this way. He said, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. And I really like that. I think that's a proper perspective. It's not so much about a system. It's not that I'm trying to figure out how to live in the way in which God will be most pleased with me. Although, listen, I mean, that is a part of it, right? Because the more you follow Jesus, the more you're in relationship with him, the more you're going to be transformed into his likeness, the more you're going to imitate him, right? The, the more you're going to look and act and behave like him, it's going to happen. But which one is at the center? Is Jesus the center or is it an ethic? Is it a behavior are you pursuing Jesus? Or are you pursuing a system of superior behavior? Because Jesus doesn't have one way. Jesus doesn't have a better way. He doesn't have a pleasant way. He is the way. Legalism rules behavior. 
That's not the only way that we get this wrong. We can also talk about rationalism, kind of the opposite perspective of that. This is not about behavior modification. This is about what you know, what you can understand, how you can explain something. It's a shift to the mind from the body. The word uh, may not mean a whole lot to you, right? But that's kind of what it looks like. Uh, In Jesus' phrasing, it's it's that truth piece. It's the truth piece. And instead of I am the truth, we turn it, we twist it into I know the truth. With legalism, we, tr- we twist it into I have the truth. With rationalism, we twist it into I know the truth. We want to make sense of things, and so what we do is we shift to Jesus' words, and we may move him away from being the truth. Instead of reading it as I'm the way and the truth in life, it's I know the truth. And in this ditch, we turn Christianity into the correct description of God. We make it all about the right doctrinal system, about the right beliefs, about the right knowledge. The correct belief system becomes the heart, becomes the center of authentic Christianity. And that's a problem. When Jesus is turned into a complete system of belief, or when we turn Jesus just into a system of believing things, then he becomes beneath our human understanding. That sounds like a lot. Let me make it simple. If Jesus can fit inside of our simple little brains, then we've made him into something he isn't. He's bigger than that. He's bigger than that. We diminish him. Now, knowledge of God or knowledge of Jesus is a great thing. It's something that we value and prioritize here at Cap City. We take it very seriously. We want to know about God. We want to know about Jesus and what he did in this world and what he's offered us. It's absolutely 100% worth pursuing, but it doesn't compete with knowing Jesus. Do you hear the difference? Knowing about Jesus or knowing about God is not the same as knowing Jesus or knowing God. And when we turn knowledge about Jesus into the target, we've now moved off center. And it absolutely flies in the face of Scripture. When you read the Bible, it doesn't have any tolerance for this type of a trade-in. The Old Testament, there's a guy named David who writes about in Psalm 139. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. A God who can be systematically understood and explained or who fits inside of our own understanding, that's not a God but some deified version of ourselves. If If your approach to following Jesus is proving that you know everything about God perfectly, then it probably means that you shrunk God. If God is small enough for you to explain, then he probably isn't God. Paul says the same thing in the New Testament, Romans chapter 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who's known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? He's big, guys. And we can't trade in a relationship with him with the assumption that we can know enough about him. There's another old dead guy. I got a lot of them this morning. A guy named G.B. Caird. He said, we must know God or perish, but unless we know God as ultimate mystery, we do not know God at all. We must know God or perish. We have to know God. It's so valuable. Everybody needs to know God. But if your search of knowing God leads you to the point where the mystery is lost, you start wondering whether you ever met God at all. There ought to be more mystery to him. The more that we get to know him, it's not knowing about, but it's knowing him. The oldest dead guy I'm going to mention, this guy named Jeremy Taylor, he has the most normal name. He's the oldest. A religion without mystery must be a religion without God. If you're searching 
for knowledge and understanding of who God is and it doesn't lead to more mystery, then you probably found the wrong God. We think knowledge of God is center. Some of us have have moved off of Jesus and we've moved to rationalism. We've made it center. And it looks a lot like Jesus and it sounds a lot like Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just simply offer us something to know. Jesus doesn't offer a truth or a higher truth or a more personal truth. It's not about what he knows. It's about him. He is the truth. Truth walks this razor edge of heresy. Back here behind me, you're going to see some uh, first person on these screens down below. POV, you saw the uh, bumper video that we showed before. This is all imagery from a, a place in Switzerland. Switzerland. It's called the Hardergrat Trail. It's terrifying. If you have fear of heights, you may not want to watch. Like, it's enough to mess with me. I was supposed to walk back there by it, but I, legs get shaky. All right? It's razor thin. Razor thin. It has these deep drop-offs to either side. One step, either direction could put you in danger. I was doing some research on this, on this uh, trail, and I found this website. It says that there's no water anywhere on the trail. This is like a warning before you go on this trail. There's no water, so you have to carry enough. Don't do the trail if it's wet. The trail is, in many places, a narrow path with enormous drop-offs on both sides. People have fallen off and been killed. Anyone attempting the trail should be very accustomed to heights and comfortable in this terrain. It is a serious trail. At least one hiking pole is recommended. Escape from trail is possible in only a few places and include big descents to either the north or south. Listen to me, guys. When you're following Jesus, it's easy to go to the left or to the right, isn't it? It's easy to drift off of center. It's easy to find yourself in legalism or rationalism. It's easy to find yourself in a behavioral system or in a belief system. But Jesus is the way. Not an ethic about him. Not a knowledge of him. It's him. Jesus is the way and Jesus is the truth. He's he's not a doctor and it's not a belief. It's him. He's the truth. In other words, both God's truth and God's way are embodied in a living, breathing person. It's Jesus. And what's fascinating is that in your pursuit of Jesus, in your effort to have a relationship with Jesus, it means that you're going to gain the behavior and the knowledge. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to find yourself transforming more and more into him and you're going to imitate him as you grow in your relationship with him and you're going to adopt his ethic and his behavior from his teaching and when you pursue him, you're going to adopt his knowledge and his understanding about God and his truth and in your pursuit of him, those things are going to accompany and come alongside but following Jesus doesn't mean I'm trying to create the best theological system and it doesn't mean I'm trying to obey his teaching by my own effort. Following Jesus is a pursuit of a relationship with him. So when I say yes to Jesus, I'm saying yes to a person. It's not a plan or a scheme. It's like when you get married, you make vows or pledges to a person. Vows are important. They give meaning to your pledge, but it's not about the vows. It's about the marriage. It's about the relationship. When I made vows to my wife, I didn't know what the future looked like. And I didn't know all the places that we would end up. I didn't have all the answers. I didn't know what my life was going to look like. But I did know who I wanted to travel through life with. When I make vows to Jesus, I don't know what the future looks like. I don't know all the places I may end up. I don't have all 
the answers. I don't know what my life is going to look like, but I do know who I want to travel through life with. So being a Jesus follower is not knowing about God. It's not knowing his way of living. Being a Jesus follower is knowing Jesus. And what does it, what does it feel like to know Jesus? It's kind of hard to know. And it's really kind of hard to know someone that you can't see or hear or touch or smell. Knowledge, I think, to some extent is experience. It's not just fact. You can know facts about someone and not know them at all. You can study and research someone and you can know lots of facts without knowing them. But when we're talking about a relationship with Jesus, we're talking about knowing him. We're talking about time shared with him. We're talking about experience over time. We're talking about history. And I think it looks a lot like a marriage relationship. It starts with the commitment to a person. If you're married or if you're in a serious relationship, you can probably remember a time in your life before you knew your spouse. Should, you shouldn't say better days, right? There was a time when you didn't know them, but you knew enough about them that you wanted to know them more. And so you began a relationship with them, and you start a relationship, and over time, the little bit of trust that initially existed grows to where you want to, to have more of a commitment to one another, right? And eventually, this trust that's built over time is built through the context of experiences, and through these experiences, eventually, you begin knowing someone. Not just knowledge about them, but knowing the person. And when it comes to marriage, you even become an expert of your spouse, that's what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus. It starts with the willingness to spend time together. And over time, through a shared history and shared experiences, you begin to know him. Now, all of this is very fascinating to me when it's held up against the two biggest excuses I hear from people concerning why they haven't yet begun a relationship with Jesus. These are the two biggest excuses I hear. I don't know enough or I'm not good enough. Guys, these are those ditches on either side of the trail. It's that razor edge of heresy in play. If you feel like you don't know enough or you aren't smart enough to be a Jesus follower, you should probably hear that there's no written exam that you have to pass to get into heaven. There's no test. There's a couple of very simple questions that you can answer today. Do you know you need a Savior and do you know that Jesus can be that Savior? That's it. That's the quotient of knowledge required. You don't have to know everything about him. In fact, this is the beginning of a relationship. You're making a simple commitment to live with him. And then for the rest of your life, can you commit to knowing him more? And some of you feel like you're not good enough or that you're, you aren't even capable of becoming good enough to be a Jesus follower. Do you know how backwards that is? Do you know that there's no way that you could be good enough to not need Jesus? The fact that you aren't good enough is the very reason that God sends his son to save us from ourselves. And it's the same question that you have to answer. Do you know that you need a Savior? And do you know that Jesus can be that Savior? It's not about behavior modification. And it's not about knowing Jesus or, or knowing enough, I'm sorry. Jesus is the center. It's all about Jesus. Maybe the most important phrase in this verse that we haven't even paid any attention to from John 14. Nobody gets to the Father except by me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except by me. Because truth walks that razor edge of heresy. Heresy 
isn't going to get you where you want to go. And if you miss Jesus, you miss the way and the truth and the life. Do you remember when Jesus said these words? Maybe they're new to you. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe you've heard them before, but it's been a long time. You can't really recall or remember. Jesus says this on the last night of his life. He's talking to his disciples in the upper room. There's tension that's going on. This is the last time that they're going to be, be, be together before Jesus is resurrected from the dead. There's tension in the room because not everybody understands that, and it feels kind of chaotic. Jesus is telling them all sorts of stuff, and he's teaching them all sorts of things, and it's kind of creating this fusion. It kind of feels like Jesus is just trying to throw everything in at the last second before he has to walk away, right? And, and the disciples, I think, you can read through, you can feel the tension just building. They start interrupting Jesus. They start challenging Jesus. They start asking these questions because they can't get it. They can't understand it. It's a strange and confusing time. And it's as if, as if at, at the end of it all, get to verse 6 here, it's as if Jesus is saying, hey, just calm down and just relax and let's just focus back on me. If you forget everything else, remember this. Just hold on to this. I am the way and the truth in the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And it's exclusive language, but it's clarifying. Do you feel like your life is in chaos? Do you feel like your relationship with God has been chaotic? Do you feel like you can't quite figure it out, like you don't know enough or that you can't be good enough? Do you feel like there's this constant tension or conflict between you and God? Do you feel like there's something that's keeping you from being able to make him center? Can you just relax and come back to this very simple truth, this one simple truth? Can you trust that if you pursued this truth, this razor edge of truth, that everything else would start to fall in place? Can you believe that Jesus is the way? Not that he has the way, but that he is the way. Can you believe that Jesus is the truth? Not that he knows the truth, not that he can teach you the truth, but that he is the truth. And can you walk with him? And recognize the exclusivity of this verse, that there's no other way. There's no stepping off the trail and ending up at the same end point. There's no other truth. There's no other life. You understand that this is why we make such a big deal about Jesus. And it's why we do this thing called Lord's Supper, communion, every single week. We have these tables around the room. We've got small pieces of bread and some juice. It's a time where we remember what it is that Jesus has done for us because it's not about what he taught and it's not about what he knows. It's about who he is and what he did. And he saved us. And so we celebrate it. It's a weird kind of a celebration, but it is. It's a celebration. It's a big deal to us. And at these worship stations, we have uh, these boxes. It's a place where we worship and, and give him praise through giving back to him. That's part of what we do. Is if you're part of the Cap City family, we have boxes for that. We also have these buckets where sometimes we feel compelled to give even more and so we go beyond that in that kind of a way. And when I dismiss you to the tables here in just a moment, here's, here's what I really want to challenge you with today. As you, as you take the emblems, as you stand in line or as you get back to your seat, as you're thinking through it, I want you to meditate on what's the center of your life. Is Jesus really truly at center for you or has it shifted off 
Are you more of a legalist who cares more about behavior modification than you do about Jesus? Are you more of a rationalist? Are you someone who's become obsessed about knowing about God, but you haven't actually had a relationship with him? Is Jesus at center? Are you on that trail or have you drifted one way or the other? Why don't you meditate on those things? Let's stand, let's go to the tables. This life has overwhelmed me And I feel like giving up I will cling to all you've promised It will always be enough When the world around me crumbles And it's hard to understand I will run to you, my shelter I am safe within your hands You are my help I'm broken in the silence 
I can hear you whispering You're not alone here in these trials I will hold you faithfully You are my help forever I will not fear God, you are with me I know you're near You'll never leave me I will trust in you It's my heart to see 
Oh, you guys are so sweet to clap for me. I know it was all for me and not for the amazing job that our worship team does. Um, for those that do not know me, my name is Alethea Hamilton. I am the communications director here at Capital City Christian Church. And if you are new here or you've been coming for a couple weeks and you haven't uh, shared your information with us, I encourage you to do so. There's little red cards in the back of the chairs that you can fill out and give to our welcome team. Or a brand new thing that we have is on a couple of the chairs are QR codes. Just scan them and it'll take you straight to a connect page. Give us a little bit of information and someone from our ministry staff will reach out to you and talk to you and see what you're looking for in a church and see if there's something we can do for you. I have just a couple of announcements for you, and I ask that you stick with me. Uh, one, because we're not done worshiping yet, and so that's exciting. But two, I have been told that my job is on the line, if, depending on how many people get up and leave during this next part. All right? Father, sit down. <laughs> Nobody pay attention to him. All right? So the first one is we have a brand new series um, of discipleship classes that we've been doing here at Cap City. And in March, we're going to do start our second class. It's called Growing at Cap City. And this is going to focus on just the things that are important for us as Jesus followers, um, on Bible study, on prayer, on giving, and on service. This, the classes will be held um, downstairs in the conference room during the 11 o'clock hour. This one will be led by our elders, Jordan Hall and Tommy Current. And if you cannot make it on Sunday, don't worry, because they're going to do the exact same class again on Wednesday night. All right? And so I encourage you to take a look at that. And if you have any other questions, just reach out to the man who tried to run away just now, Doc Pattison, our senior minister, and he will hook you up. All right? One of the things, main things of my job here as communications director is not only to give you guys information about the church and what we're doing, but to help you stay connected with your Cap City fam. And one of the ways that we have to do this is through our Church Center app. And a lot of people don't realize what exactly the Church Center app can do for you. And so I'm going to give you a little tutorial real quick on some of the things that it can do. If you have not downloaded it, you can get it in the Apple Store or Google Play, all right? So it's called the Church Center app. And if you guys will play my little video, look, Mo gets married in 211 days if anybody wants to know, all right? So, all right, once you download the Church Center app, you're going to see a little profile right here. That's you. Those are all, well, that's me actually. Those are all the things that I have scheduled. Those are the groups that I'm involved in. It will give me a page link to my giving um, where I can control my do donations and my occurring stuff. My registrations, in making this video, I registered for um, the Oasis Luncheon four times. And unfortunately, now you can see all the times that I canceled it because I'm not exactly a boomer or a builder. But if you're interested, they're going out to lunch on March 12th. And um, so we'll give you a little thing about there. Then you go up there to the profile settings and where it says contact and profile information, that's all your information, right? That's the stuff that you want to be seen in our church directory, which I bet none of you knew that we haven't had. Okay, that's my household. That's my husband, Thomas, and my son, Steve-O. And here's what we're going to look like in our church directory, and I'll get to that here in a second. But you can control what information that you want displayed for the church family. So we'll go on to the next part here, which is our online giving. You can do one-time donations, like you see here. And in making this video, I gave $50 to the church. Thank you. That's how many times it took me to do this, do this video. But it's so easy. You just put it in there. You can control your payment methods, how much you give, even start your re recurring donations. So, I'm, no, I'm not giving you my card number. I hear you. Uh, <laughs> 
They try during rehearsal too. And then on our registration page, these are all the different events that we have open up here at Cap City, right? So it's super easy. You just click on the event that you're wanting and it goes there, it gives you details such as time and location and a little bit more about it. And then you just hit the little register button and it takes you straight over to it. You hit, hit, hit the submit button with just the number of people that you're doing information for. And you hit next and you hit register and boom, you're registered. So this doesn't matter if you want to attend to an event or if you're volunteering for something like trunk or treat or extravaganza, super easy to do that all from the app. Next is our groups page. These top four were the groups that I'm currently a part of, but at the bottom it just lists a bunch of different groups that we have here at Cap City. So when you find something that you're looking for and you're interested in, you just click on it, and there comes the information about it, right? And you'll say the location, the dates that they're meeting. You can either view a group. If, um, if you're already part of one, you can go take you straight to that page, or you, it'll say join group, and the leader from that group will be in contact with you and get you connected. This is my life group, so once you're in a group, it's super fun because you can stay connected through the app. So these are all the dates that my group is gonna meet. I downloaded the resources from Right Now Media that we're studying right now from there. My group can access everything right there from the app. And you can even text each other within that. So you're not blowing up each other's phones at work with regular text messaging, you could just do it and it leaves a little icon. There's all my group leaders. That's Brad's attendance, if anybody wants to shame him for the days that he's missed. And uh, you can get all your group contact information through that too. Next, brand new, I just started that with this current series, is our sermon series that you can have. You can either watch the videos or you can um, listen to it like a podcast, all from the app. Because it's going to take a little while to get there. And I don't know how his voice got on there. I really don't. And that, that was Doc. He has nothing to do with it. Um, you can hit the little connect part, and it takes you, you know, if you want to, you're listening to the message and go, huh, I have questions for Ben about what he just said. You just put in the information there in the little connect part, and it'll connect you to Ben. And you can get those questions. That connects you to the website, which I'm also very proud of. If you have not checked out capcity.info, all of this stuff you can do from there as well. So. You can get to the app and go back over here to Church Center. And we're just going to mosey here for a second. Oh, there it is. All right. And then you have our church directory. Now, the church directory has everybody who has agreed to put their information in it. I cannot list everybody's information unless I get permission. And so if you do not see someone, that means they haven't given me permission to put their information in there. If you are not there, you haven't given me permission, so all you got to do is email me to ahamilton at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'll get your information in there, all right? So I'm super proud, not only of our church family and things that we do outside these walls, but on mornings like this, I'm super proud of what we're, how we connect with each other and with our Lord through our worship, and I ask you to continue to do so with me now. Stand up. Good job there, Alethea. That was really awesome. This is a celebration of what Jesus Christ has done for us. He showed us what love looks like. Let's show the world. I was walking the wayside, lost on a lonely road.